Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm happy you have joined us today. My name is Brian Hefty. I'm live in the Morton studio today. My brother Darren's still out on the road. He should be back tomorrow though. If you've got any questions for us during the show today, you can certainly send us an email, radio at agphd.com. But I know we've got a jam-packed lineup today. We're going to be talking about biofuels. Whether it's ethanol, biodiesel, there are a number of different biofuels out there, and we wanted to discuss those today. Usually, we spend our time talking about agronomy and how, how to raise better crops. But today, we wanted to focus a little more on these biofuels. Also, uh, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right away during the show. So again, if you've got any questions, uh, just send them to me, radio at agphd.com, or you can call me, 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, what I wanted to talk about to open the show is something that I mentioned just a little bit yesterday, and I don't know if you caught this, but this is very interesting, that with the USDA's crop reports... In my opinion, okay, this is just my opinion, but I believe they are unbelievably misleading. And here's why. If, as a farmer, last week you had 0% of your corn planted and you still intended to plant, well, then the government reported that as you're 0% planted. This week, if you still have nothing planted, but you say, nope, it's too late for corn, I'm not going to plant corn anymore, you are now considered 100% planted on corn. This is part of the reason the numbers have been jumping up in certain areas uh, in terms of percent planted, even though there wasn't much planted. <laughs> now, I've never heard of anything so ridiculous, but this has been going on for decades now. And, you know, usually people aren't paying much attention because we don't have unplanted acres like we do this year. But I first realized this in 1993. That was a long time ago, 26 years ago. But we, we saw that exact same thing here in the state of South Dakota. We had just as much prevent plant or unplanted acres in 93 as we do now this year. It's probably going to be a couple million, maybe more than that, just in our little state alone. So anyway, this is a really big deal. And part of the reason why I've been saying for a while, I, I, I think we are going to have much higher commodity prices. And because the reports come out the way they do, I just feel like personally, again, this is just my opinion. I just feel like we're getting undersold right now as farmers in terms of what our corn and soybean prices are and what they are going to be. So that impacts our decision on whether we should continue to plant or whether we should take prevent plant. So anyway, if you've got questions specifically about this, I encourage you Ask the USDA yourself, and you'll find out what I have, too, that these reports aren't necessarily on how many acres are planted. They're just on intentions. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Okay, this one comes from David. He says, I've got a question about using a really large fence row nozzle. My sprayer has five sections, um, and the fence row nozzle is supplied by the end section. Does the fence row nozzle take away from the regular nozzles on that section? Please let me know what you think. Um, David, typically, no, it doesn't. So let's just say, for example, you're running 10-gallon nozzles all the way through your sprayer, but that end nozzle is a 20-gallon nozzle. There should be, your pump should be big enough and there should be more than enough pressure in those lines to maintain the 10 gallons that you think you're running and all the other nozzles. But the way to double check that if you ever have questions is just run, uh, just ha take some little catch, uh, 
whatever you call it, catch containers, catch jars, and, and put those behind your nozzles, and then you would find out real fast. All right, uh, I've got a couple of crop updates here and questions along with that. Um, the first one is from Jason up in Canada, and he says, I uh, just wanted to send you a note on crop conditions up here in northern Alberta. So far, we've only, since January 1, gotten about two-thirds of an inch of moisture in total. Now, we have perennial ryegrass seeded, and uh, we do think the perennial ryegrass can recover and take off if we get some moisture, so hopefully that weather pattern changes soon. I listen to Ag PhD radio every day. Your positivity and good attitude helps me stay encouraged. Like Brian says, if farming was easy, everybody would do it. Hey, Jason, thanks a lot for that. I know you send us emails on a regular basis. We really appreciate it, and we're certainly certainly hoping uh, that you get some rain there. And I would love to share some of the rain because we're way excess right here right now. And like yesterday, some of our ground got almost an inch and a half of rain when we were maybe supposed to get, there's a slight chance that we get a tenth of an inch. <laughs> then we get an inch and a half. That's the way the whole year has gone for us. So I really wish that I could have somehow sent you that inch and a half. That would have made both of us happy. Uh, anyway, Brad e- emailed in from Let's see, east, uh, let's see, East Central Iowa, and he says it's been a really wet year. He's had a, he, he actually was able to get 95% of his corn planted by the third week of April. Um, but since it was cold and wet, the, the corn laid in the ground for two to three weeks. Now, here's what happened, and here's basically what his question kind of comes down to. He's got a lot of height variance out in that corn from 24 inches down to 12 inches, and he says... It doesn't seem to be planter related. It's happening on cornfields that have a good nutrient program. Last year, many of these fields raised 240 to 270 in terms of bushels of corn. Um, And this is corn on corn ground that had fall, dry P and K applied, then vertical tilled, fall anhydrous, and spring field cultivated and planted. We've seen this before in years past, but there may have only been a few inches of height difference. Now, here's his question. He said, we didn't run starter fertilizer on our planter, but we're thinking this year it would have paid big dividends. With all the cold, damp conditions we've had, it seems that research shows starter maybe would have benefited us. What do you think? Or are we missing something else? What What do you think is happening out there? Uh, he says, love the show, listen daily, hope to make it to the field day this summer. All right, Brad, without being at your field, it's hard for me to say for sure, but there are just a few things that I would point out. Number one, we've seen a lot of difference in residue cover. So if there was even a tiny bit more residue cover over certain plants, that could have caused a problem this year because we were exceptionally cold. In addition, yes, starter absolutely helps, and then seed treatments. The seed treatment thing is huge. I will tell you on our farm, our corn has 33 seed treatments on it, and we were able to pop the corn out of the ground 20 to 30 GDUs faster than if we didn't put those treatments on. So I I look at seed treatments, a little starter fertilizer, um, and I, I still would come back to the planter and see if there isn't something more that could be done with the planter. There are a lot of things to look at there, Brad. Well, stay tuned. We've got more Ag PhD Radio coming up right after this. Hey, Jimmy, any ideas for increasing corn yield? Rise up. Oh, I get up early and work hard. Rise up. Exactly. I could use faster growth, bigger ears, higher yield. Rise up. If only my yield could rise a few bushels. Rise up. Okay, Jimmy, I'm going to rise up. Yeah, let's rise up. Its name says it all. Help your corn rise up to its potential with Rise Up Plant Growth Regulator from Valent USA Corporation. Ask your retailer about Rise Up. Rise up up to a higher yield. Make more money from each field. Rise up. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy 2 Save 3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. If you're like most dry bean growers, you don't go 30 seconds without thinking about the damaging effects of white mold. So let us spend the next 30 seconds telling you about Topsin fungicide from UPL. Topsin is a leading brand used by growers. Why? Because season after season, Topsin delivers superior protection and complete peace of mind. In short, Topsin works. So don't spend your time thinking about white mold. Spend your time controlling it. To get Topsin, call your UPL representative or distributor. Read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Live in the Morton studio, I'm Brian Hefty. Today we're talking about biofuels. We've got a few guests lined up today. Uh, first on the show is Tim Graber. He is from right here in South Dakota, National Biodiesel Board member. Tim, thanks a lot for the time today. Sure. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Now, I hear you don't have a lot of time for us today that uh, you're out traveling and stuff. So uh, I guess let's let's start right away with this. Um there, you have served on the uh, National Biodiesel Board for a while, and you, you've been around the, the biofuels for a while. Tell us what are the top issues that you're working on right now? Well, some of the issues is, is that we're, we're trying to promote the product, and we're having just a bit of a problem because uh, the EPA is, is, uh, is being a bit, a bit stubborn, and we're, we constantly have to battle the, the big oil people because uh, whatever uh, biodiesel is in existence, it, it, uses, uh, it uses market share that big oil does not like. So they're, they're constantly trying to, to uh, minimize our use. But if we as farmers stick together and, and work at it, and through the National Biodiesel Board, and we just spent some time in Washington, I met with Senator Rounds, with uh, Representative Johnson and uh, Senator Thune, and uh, all of our congressional people are very positive, and uh, they're very pro biodiesel. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's it was very pleasant yesterday to be with with all three of them, and uh, they're trying very hard to promote the product. All right. So you talk about promotion, and you talk about some of the challenges with EPA. What can any farmer do out there? We've got a lot of farmers who are listening today. How can they get involved and basically help this cause of biofuels? Well, I guess uh, one of the biggest things is, is in, the, in the ballot box. Um, we, uh, we've, been, we've been dealing with RIN that has helped the price quite a bit. But because of uh, the small refiners uh, uh, issue with uh, getting out of uh, the RIN situation, um, that has brought the price up since we don't have the RINs anymore, or don't have the RIN 
process is, is not as good as it used to be. So the, the price compared to petroleum diesel is just a little bit higher, but I would encourage people to use it anyway because it's such a good product and it improves air quality, it improves lubricity, and it uses excess soybean oil. It, uh, it has just so many, so many good properties that uh, uh, it increases the price of soybeans, it decreases the price of soybean meal, and uh, we as farmers are always trying to, trying to help our own cause, and that's one way to do it, by, by using biodiesel. What are the biggest misconceptions about biodiesel that are out there in the United States today? Well, the misconceptions I hear from fellow farmers is that they heard some people say that they heard maybe a couple of years ago that somebody had a trouble with a plug filter or they had trouble with an engine and they had been using biodiesel, so therefore they're not going to use it anymore. Well, I think one of the biggest issues is dirty tanks, and if you use biodiesel in a, in a used dirty tank, it will clean it for you, and then you have to change filters a bit more often. So uh, it's important to, to use a clean tank or to be ready to change filters and, um, and, and use it that way. But it's an extremely good product, and uh, it adds uh, lubricity, which is a thing which our present diesel fuel does not have, and uh, biodiesel adds that to our product. Anything else you wanted to add for our listeners today, Tim? Well, just the fact that uh, I think I did mention that uh, the more biodiesel we can use and renewable diesel as well, uh, it increases our price of soybeans, and um, it's just a, a good product that farmers feel good about. I use it in my combine, I use it in my trucks, I use it in my pickup, and I have a diesel car now. And I feel good every time I drive because I'm using my own product. We can take our beans to the processor and, um, and use the, the biodiesel that, that promotes ourselves. We as farmers need to promote ourselves. Excellent points you make there. Again, we've been talking to Tim Graber, National Biodiesel Board member. Tim, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Travel safe. Sure. Thank you. All right. Next on the show, we've got John Lockwood. He is a fuel lubricant specialist with Primrose Oil Company. John, how are you today? I'm good, Brian. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, so we were just talking with Tim Graber there about some of the uh questions and concerns that people have with biofuels how about from from your standpoint what are what are the biggest questions you get from from people who are using biofuel products well the, the biggest concern that that i hear from from farmers and anybody using you know bio or biodiesel or ethanol is there's concerns around stability they 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 recognize that that these uh, renewable resources are hygroscopic, meaning that they, they, they can attract moisture. And when we get a certain amount of moisture in our fuel, uh, it, it can phase that fuel out and bring the, the renewable resource down to the bottom of the tank. And we need, we need to educate uh, folks, and that's what I do as I go out and I talk to people, educate them on how we can bring stability to the fuel so they can have confidence knowing that they're they're not going to have that filter plugging issue like Tim was just talking about. So they're, what 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 do you gonna, so what do you suggest then so a person doesn't have that problem? So uh, so a person doesn't have the problem of, of uh, the stability with yeah, the fuel. Or? Right. Yeah. With the moisture that you're talking about. Well, I mean that can just be you know one one side of thing you know one 
aspect of it, you know. But when we start to 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 blend renewable resources into our fuel, the the fuel isn't it does it it, it can oxidize quicker. It can it can asphaltines can form. There can be a carboxylate issue. There can be lots of different things. And so what I suggest is you you know you look for a product that is a high quality fuel enhancement to enhance the fuel and bring stability to the fuel so that it has all the things that the engine manufacturers want in the fuel for their engines to run properly. Is that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so basically there are some additives that a person could put in there. And, you know, one of the concerns that we've always had is with with many of the oil companies, they're they're getting rid of their worst fuel and blending that with some of the, the biodiesel or, uh, or ethanol products. And that's obviously concerning to me. Rather than putting their best fuel with it, they're putting their worst stuff with it. Do you find that to be pretty common? Well, you know, I think all the, all the, the, the people that are, are marketing the fuel, I think they're and delivering fuel, I think they're all trying to do the best that they can. You know, a lot of times they don't, they don't have an option of what they're getting when they go to the terminal to get fuel that's bring, being hauled out to the, to the farmer. You know, they they don't know that they've got, you know, a batch of fuel that is uh, contaminated with something or, or is bad fuel or had been sitting there a long time. They're trying to do the best that they can. Um, you know, for the most part, when that does happen, they, they, they try their hardest to, you know, fix the problem for them. But really, their job isn't to do that. Their job is to sell fuel. And then that's where guys like me step in and can come and, and help help figure out what is wrong with the fuel. Is it? Is it contaminated with gasoline or ethanol? Is it water? Um, why why is the fuel destabilized, and how can we rescue it and get these guys back up and going? Because we we all want the same thing. We all want the farmer to be productive. We don't like downtime. We we want to be able to provide uh, uh, solutions so that we can one inhibit any downtime, but two, if it does come up, that we can get them back up and running as quick as we can. You know, even if there's biodiesel, you know, like Tim was talking about, that um, cleans the tank and causes filter plugging and things like that, that can happen even in guys that are ordering straight number two diesel. There can, there can be issues like that. Um, we need to take those insolubles that have fallen out of the fuel, make them soluble again, make them, make them able to be suspended back up into the fuel and be able to pass through the filter media or be captured, if that's the case, if it's if it's not meant to be burned, but we want to we want to keep the fuel tank and the fuel systems healthy and clean, and we can do that by enhancing the fuel. Excellent points. We've been talking to John Lockwood. He is with Primrose Oil Company. If you've got questions for him, he's a fuel lubricant specialist. John, thanks a lot for the time today. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Thanks. We will talk more about biofuels coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. 
Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping you spray better. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Vellum. For more information, visit vellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about biofuels. If you got any questions for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. Next on the show, we've got Brian Jennings. He is the CEO for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks a lot for the time today. We appreciate it. Oh, pleasure to join you, Brian. Thank you. All right, so when we asked you to to come on the show, what were probably the top two or three things that you thought, boy, I got to make sure that I mention those when I, I do visit with the guys? <laughs> well, there's a lot going on right now in the uh, in the renewable fuels industry, but I, I guess the top two or three things that that I might um, tick off right off the bat, Brian, are this industry is hurting right now. It's been good for, I think, farmers and agriculture in general to have demand for crops through renewable fuels production and use. 
but along with farmers who who are hurting from whether it's weather or or some trade issues um or low prices um low low farm income so are renewable fuel producers and and a lot of that has to do with the way the the renewable fuel standard the RFS is being mismanaged by EPA um we have very good news these days for ethanol with President Trump approving the use of E15 year round and I was just at an event yesterday um at an Iowa ethanol plant where where that was celebrated and that is wonderful news and will be a long-term big benefit for us but in the short term we're hurting and and we need to get this RFS back on track um I think the second thing I would say just broadly is that if policies like the RFS are administered properly I know the best days for the renewable fuels industry are ahead. Um E15 is just a start. We know that we can and should use more ethanol in gasoline than we are in the United States today. There's a lot of uh scientific evidence that says higher blends of ethanol in that 20 to 30% range deliver significant benefits for um fuel economy in in the new engines coming off assembly lines and also deliver uh greenhouse gas benefits and, and tailpipe benefits and so um the the best days of this industry are yet to come but but we're dealing with a, a few hiccups right now in the short term. Uh first of all when you talk about that fuel economy I think it was 5 6 7 years ago the Minnesota Corn Growers Association did a big study and they found that E30 was the most efficient blend that there was out there uh for ethanol and I've tried to run higher blends in many of my vehicles as well and I found it to be awesome. So what's the big hang up? Why doesn't the EPA or the government get on board and just say, "Okay, we're fine any vehicle out there, you go ahead and and use up to E30." It's interesting that you mentioned the Minnesota study and and your own anecdotal experience because we've done our own research and E30 does seem to be a sweet spot that really uh gets that fuel economy uh where it needs to be and it's a low price point. The answer to your question is twofold. There there are political reasons and legal reasons why the government doesn't allow uh you and I and others to to use E20 and E30 or E40 in our vehicles today. The the political reason is of course we're we're at the end of the day trying to uh battle with oil refiners over market share. and as you know and your your listeners and followers know Brian they're they're well healed the the oil refiners are among the most effective in Washington DC when it comes to lobbying and they don't want to lose any more market share to farmers and ethanol producers the second reason why we can't put E30 in any car we want today is a legal reason the clean air act currently prohibits the use of a fuel that has not uh, been approved by EPA or received a waiver from EPA uh regarding the Clean Air Act for tailpipe emissions and so to get a fuel like E30 used in every vehicle under the law as it stands today we would have to submit uh scientific research and evidence to EPA to prove out E30 if that's the number we use to prove out the the tailpipe um benefits and there are they are um there so it's just something that we would have to do as as we move forward so i i i guess i don't really understand that why why aren't we getting that done because 
I mean, it, it, ethanol is a way cleaner burning fuel than gasoline today. So when we talk, you mentioned the Clean Air Act, you would think that the Clean Air Act would be very specific saying, um, we'd love to see you using all kinds of ethanol. I don't understand that. Right. Well, the reason we're not getting it done is that this takes a step-by-step process. And I understand the frustration that a lot of people have that, we should be able to put whatever we want in our vehicle, and E30 is going to be significantly better than, for example, an E10 or an E15. Um, But I guess what I will say is it goes back to the two-part answer I gave you earlier. There are legal um, restrictions that we have to overcome, and we haven't compiled all of the evidence yet as ethanol industry representatives or as corn growers to make that case. And then there are the political, um, sure. you know, opposition uh, to, to this. And it's, um, it, it is mighty. And, you know, we, we have been trying to get higher blends approved for a very long time. And is, it is ultimately the, you know, the goal of all of the organizations to make sure that we continue to do so. But it's a step-by-step process. Uh, okay. So, I, I I asked John Lockwood just or Tim Graber I should say just a little bit ago what can farmers do out there so especially like for me I'm a I'm a corn farmer we raise corn soybeans and wheat but as a corn farmer I don't understand how in the world I can't u- legally use E30 in my vehicle when I know it works fine I know the emissions are going to be less so what what can I do and what should I be doing Great question number one use higher blends if you can. So if you drive an FFV, use E85 or the highest blend you can. If you don't drive a flexible fuel vehicle, here's the truth, Brian. EPA is not going to, uh, the EPA police are not going to show up at Volan Oil near your farm and put you in jail or put Bruce Vollen in jail if you put E30 in your non-FFV. They simply don't have the capability to do it. So use higher blends as much as you can, uh, knowing that, that you know no one's going to come after you. You would be surprised that there are a lot of corn and soybean growers that don't use anything more than E10 in their vehicles. And so farmers need to use more of this product here at home. Another thing farmers can do is to encourage retailers in their area to offer higher blends of ethanol. Now that E15 can be used year-round everywhere in the country, I encourage farmers to talk to their retailers, whether they're an independently owned station or, or a big chain, and ask them to offer E15. Ask them to offer E30. Ask them to make E85 available. That's really important. Another thing farmers um, can do, and I know we have a lot of issues um, that are priority issues today, so it's hard to pick and choose, but we need farmers to be engaged in the public policy process, in the political process. Farmers are by far the most effective advocates of getting members of Congress and the administration to pay attention to the fact that we need to be using more ethanol here at home. That means developing a relationship with your two senators and your member of Congress, writing them letters, uh, sending them emails, inviting them to your farm, being active in 
agriculture organizations that, that make sure that your voice is being heard in the halls of Congress where some of these decisions are being made. All right, Brian, those are great suggestions, and I hope that our listeners today heard that. If they've got more questions about that, again, we've been talking to Brian Jennings. You can contact him at American Coalition for Ethanol. Uh, Brian, thanks a lot for the time today. This was great. Thank you. Yeah, there's so much for me as a farmer. I, I, I'll just put it this way, and as a Basically, for us as farmers, we're small business people. When we see a good solution, we just go do it, right? Well, it doesn't, unfortunately, work that way in our government in the United States here. It doesn't work that way in the government up in Canada. Um, So we, unfortunately, have to get involved in some of these things that we're not super comfortable with on the political side to get change to happen. We'll be right back. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agri specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Sound the foghorn, because now there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Introducing Froghorn Fungicide from UPI. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to stroby resistance. So get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, contact your ag chemical dealer. Always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Waterhemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Waterhemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. 
AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're talking about biofuels. Next on, we've got Doug Bourbon with us. He is with Poet. Hey, Doug, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Brian? Well, I'm doing pretty good, but um, one question I've got for you just to start out uh, is right before our break here, we were talking to Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. And the first thing he said was, the industry is hurting right now. Well, with Poet, you've got a whole bunch of ethanol plants around the United States. What will happen when corn goes to four fifty or five dollars a bushel? Well, I think we'll be just fine with corn prices going higher. Um, our problem has been um, oversupply of ethanol, and that's because you know the oil companies are trying to hold on to their market share, and and they're not buying as much of our product as they should. That that's the real issue that we've got, and that's why some plants have slowed down. Luckily, um, we do have uh, global markets that we're exporting to um, that have helped keep our our prices up a little bit. But it's less about the price of crude oil and corn price and more about supply and demand of our product. As soon as you mentioned the... So we're actually supportive. Oh, go ahead. You know, one of the... One of the things that our industry is very proud of is helping support grain prices, obviously. You know, biofuels have been a critical market for the ag sector over the last 15, 20 years. Um, And so we're very proud of helping grain pricing, helping farmers. Everything we do in the ethanol industry is also about agriculture. So um, we're very happy that prices are higher. I wish it weren't wasn't higher because of the current reasons. I wish it were right. higher because we were soaking up more surplus grain. You know, that's what we yep. should be doing. Yeah, yep, I'm with you. The other big thing that I've seen over the years is people have a big misconception out there that it's food versus fuel. And I go, what are you talking about? It should be food and fuel. <laughs> because with ethanol, all we're taking out is the starch. All the vitamins are still in there. We've got everything else in there other than the starch. Go bale up some corn stalks and mix that together with your DDGs, you're right back to 100% of where you were. So I don't quite understand that. How do you get over that food versus fuel thing? Well, the first thing is, you know, it's education. Um, What is it? 2% of our population considers themselves farmers. So 98% um, don't, and we need to educate that 98% because you're right. It's not food versus fuel. It is food and fuel. For example, we did some real quick math a while ago and the amount of protein the ethanol produces is enough protein to feed 550 million people their daily dose of protein on an annual basis now if ethanol wasn't around we probably wouldn't be producing that much protein anyway so not only are we not depleting the world of nutrition we're adding to the world's nutrition significantly 550 million people poet produces uh 10 billion pounds of distiller's grains on an annual basis. So you're absolutely right. We only consume the starch of the corn kernel. All of the protein fiber oil goes right back into the markets where corn is originally grown for anyway. So we're adding to the nutrition of the world. Anything else you wanted to bring up today, Doug, since we have you on the show here? Oh, boy, that's a wide-open question. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> 
Yeah, well, with 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 a, with a limited amount of time, I realize I could talk to you for three hours about ethanol. But let, let's put it this way: in one minute, give me the most important thing that you wanted to stress to our listeners today. We're very excited about the new news of E15 being available year-round nationwide. Uh, E15 is just the next step in offering higher blends of ethanol and more biofuels for all the reasons that are important. Um, biofuels are good for the environment, good for your engine, it's good for human health, it's better value to the consumer, it's good for our national security, energy security, the economy, the environment, you name it. Uh, ethanol is a very positive force for absolutely every aspect you can think of. So ask for more of it. <laughs> All right. Hey, Doug, great points. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Again, we've been talking to Doug Bourbon with Poet. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for all you do, Brian. You bet. Thank you. All right. Uh, next on, I am very pleased to be joined by Mark Rauch. He is with the Auto Channel, Executive Vice President there. Uh, Mark, thanks a lot for the time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Brian. Great to be speaking with you. Uh, so, Mark, I've been reading your articles for a while. And by the way, for our listeners out there, uh, you can just check this out. It's uh, it's Mark, M-A-R-C, Rauch, R-A-U-C-H, uh, the auto channel. But he's had some awesome articles about ethanol. And I've got so many questions for you today, Mark. And I, I guess I just want to start with this because a lot of times you're talking about the big oil companies and how ethanol is kind of be, being held back by a lot of propaganda out there. Give me like the top two or three things that either the oil companies or just general consumers say that's negative about ethanol that is not true. Um, that it destroys engines, that it destroys rubber, plastics, metal. Those are all uh, incorrect things. There's nothing more corrosive about ethanol than gasoline or aromatics. In fact, ethanol is more compatible with plastics, different types of plastics, rubbers, and metals than either gasoline and aromatics. So that's all incorrect. The whole notion of energy content is irrelevant. The whole, the whole use of BTUs to describe gasoline versus ethanol is all incorrect. It's a gimmick. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, BTUs are significant if you're boiling water, heating water to make steam for a steam engine. Um, internal combustion engines don't run on steam, right? So that all of that stuff is incorrect. Um, uh, the, the issue of so-called sucking water out of the air is completely misunderstood and, and is wrong. Um, and in fact, one of the best aspects of ethanol or alcohol is the fact that that will remove water that occurs or that accumulates in a fuel tank because of condensation. And so to be blaming ethanol on the fact that it can absorb more water than gasoline, that doesn't make sense. It's a, as I said, that's actually a good feature. Um, so I'd say those are those are probably the the biggest the so, biggest problems. So one of the things in, in some of your articles I've read is uh, talk about 
the other countries around the world, like Brazil, for example, how much ethanol goes into a regular car? How high uh, of an ethanol blend are many of those cars running down in Brazil, for example? Well, the, the standard fuel in Brazil now is E27. Uh, I believe uh, you or your brother have been in Brazil, right? And so you... Yep, we both have. You've seen that yourself. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, the movement, the change to E27 took place about 2015. Before that, they were at E25. And Brazil has been using, has been, the mandated fuel for Brazil has been E15 or higher since 1978. Um, and everything I hear is that they will be moving to E40 by somewhere around 2025, 26. Um, and, and so that's very important and significant, but even more important are the six decades that ethanol gasoline blends were sold in Great Britain as and marketed as being superior in every way to non-ethanol gasoline. And this was sold by Standard Oil, the biggest oil companies right in the world. Standard, in, in those days, of course, it wasn't called Exxon, it was called Esso, but uh, it was sold by Esso, it was sold by City Service. And, and so the, the significance of that is that all of these cars, all of the great English classic cars, you know, the Bentleys, the Rolls Royces, the MGs, uh, the Healys, Austins, all of that stuff. These are all cars that were able to run and did run on ethanol gasoline blends. Hey, Mark, that's a and super so interesting point. Hang on for us just for a minute. We've got to take a quick break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn yield ever. But disease can stand in the way, like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust. New Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual mode of action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. Always read and follow label instructions. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. <laughs> That's like explaining wind shear to a pilot. Now, Mother Nature stresses corn the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Headline Amp Fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your corn can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Headline Amp Fungicide and BASF Plant Health. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. 
Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Right before the break, we were talking to Mark Rauch. She is with the Auto Channel. Mark, sorry to cut you off there. Thanks for holding on during the break. You were talking about standard oil and what was going on in Great Britain for about six decades. And to kind of go along with that, if you want to finish that story up, and to kind of go along with that, I know I've read how you've talked about Henry Ford, even with his very first cars. had Those cars had the ability to run on pretty much pure ethanol, correct? Yes, that's correct. And, and, and so to finish with the Great Britain's idea, the, the significance is that those are all these great old cars. Uh, Brazil doesn't make cars per se, right? In other words, nobody ever thinks of, oh, I have a classic Brazilian car. <laughs> right. But people have classic English cars. So, so all of the people who are concerned because they have a classic, an older car, and they say, I can't run ethanol blends in it, it's like, that's not true because that's because they're made to be able to run that way. And so when you hear Jay Leno talk bad about ethanol, he's, he, he doesn't put the two and two together. And the same thing is true, of course, with old German cars and old Italian cars and old French cars. These are all vehicles that could have and probably did run on various types of uh, various blend levels of ethanol and gasoline. And because that's what was available, and they had to. So that's the significance. Henry Ford, of course, um, was a farmer, understood about ethanol, understood the significance of ethanol. He was also a car racer, uh, a motorsports guy. And he said in 1906, he said he's going to be building uh, his cars so that they can run on alcohol as well as gasoline. Now, there was a lot of... Um, there's back and forth on this, and people like Hemmings and a few other organizations have come out and said that that's not true, that he never he never intended that. So I did a rather long report in which I went back and, and did some, I, I think, some really good research and found some really fascinating stuff in which Ford talked about this, as I say, before he was before the Model T came out. So there is no doubt that that's what he had in mind. And there's no doubt that he knew about alcohol and ethanol. Of course, in those days, you know, they weren't using the word ethanol. They were using the word alcohol, sometimes power alcohol. But 
it's the same thing. And he meant, and it's ethanol, is that for all practical purposes, we're talking about ethanol as we know it today. So that vehicle could run, um, and many others, many of the other old cars were able to run on on different blends. And and all the all the best race car drivers and all, of course, the best science guys and engineers, they all knew that ethanol alcohol was a better fuel than gasoline. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I did read that article of yours, and I think you made some comment that basically Ford had this intention that, you know, there were basically we were a very rural country at that point, and people were making their own alcohol. And his comment was just that, hey, far all these farmers that are in remote areas would have their own fuel supply then, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, in those days, you didn't have gas stations on every corner like there are today in you know in big cities um and it was hard to come by so and in fact most gasoline in those days in the early days of the model t and the first you know when it first came out um it you basically were buying were buying gasoline at hardwood hardware stores pharmacies livery stables things like that <laughs> and and so the story, um, David Bloom likes to tell the story that so a, farm, a, a guy would drive out to the country with gasoline and he gets out in the country and he now he's out of fuel right. and he knocks on the door of a farmhouse and he asks the farmer, can he, can he buy some of his alcohol? <laughs> and, and that's how he gets back to the city. <laughs> okay, so now here we are today. People aren't out there just making their own alcohol on a regular basis. And we have this big belief in the United States anyway that higher higher levels of ethanol are going to hurt our cars. How high of an ethanol level could a normal car or pickup run on today without having problems? Well, a car... A normal car, a non-flex fuel car, right. could run, could probably run on E98, E100. The question would be, does the car recognize, does, does the computer system, how does it recognize the fuel? And so what would happen is that the engine light would come on, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but the light would come on, and and then the computer would might not be able to tell the engine how much air it should be sucking in. And so the air-fuel mixture would be a little bit off. But um, but the car could run on it. There wouldn't, it wouldn't be a problem. It's sort of like some people have done testing to see can a gasoline car run on diesel and diesel fuel. And so they will start the car and they'll add diesel fuel to it. And the car will keep running, and it'll run until it runs out of fuel. But it will run rough because it doesn't, the, the computer is not understanding it. Sure. It'll run rough, right, and so on. Now, if you tried to start a car with a tank, a gasoline-powered car, with a tank of diesel fuel, it probably would not start. But if you started it with gasoline and kept it running, it probably would run. Um, with ethanol, you could start a car. The, the problem you would have is if you were in cold weather, you might have a cold start problem. And some people point to the cold start issue with ethanol as if, again, as if that's a problem. But it's really not a problem 
because all the years in which there were automobiles, passenger cars, that were diesel cars, so they had a little heating element. You know, when you before you started the car, you push in this little button. It, yeah. it uh, heats up the fuel, the fuel ignites, and then there you are, right? So let's say if we were 100 years ago and everything moved in the path of ethanol, not gasoline. And so, t- and so, so 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people living in uh, where you are or Vermont or, you know, other cold places. So they would have cars and they would say, well, you know, how are you going to start the car? Well, be, well, no problem. I just push this little button in. It heats up a little bit of the ethanol. It causes ignition, right? It allows ignition. And then the engine heats up and away we go. And, and that's the end of that. There's no, there's no problem. So, so you could run as much as you want. I've run in a 2002 Ford Taurus that I was using. I bought specifically a, a used car to do long-term ethanol testing. And I ran that on all types of blends. It was non-flex fuel. And I ran it on all types of blends. And whenever I took it in for smart tests, which you have to do in California, um, it passed with flying colors. I mean, more than flying colors. It basically showed, the report basically showed that there was no particulate matter in my emissions in the three areas that they talk about. Hey, Mark, uh, we had a caller uh, calling from Nebraska. Ken, he wanted to know if it's true that motor oil has a longer lifespan if you use ethanol because ethanol doesn't have the contaminants that gasoline has. Well, you know, this is one of those things where it depends on which expert you ask. Well, I'm asking uh, you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there are people who who will say that motor oil uh, doesn't last as long because if you're using a lot of ethanol, because the ethanol doesn't have the same lubricating qualities as gasoline. But it really comes down to if your car or truck is operating fine and there's no problem, then E10, E15, E30, E50 shouldn't bother anything having to do with the motor oil. Um, as far as the contaminants, well, as soon as as soon as you put the ethanol into the gasoline, uh, whatever contaminants are in the gasoline are now in the ethanol. So yeah. I'm not sure. Probably right, won't make sure. a lot of difference. Yep. Yeah. Uh, right. hey, 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 Mark, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. We're, we're about out of time okay. today. I, I know we've just covered the tip of the iceberg. I wish I had about three, four more segments to talk to you. I really have loved this. I really appreciated it. Thanks so much for the time. Again, we've been talking to Mark Rauch with the Auto Channel. All right, well, before we go, I just want to say thanks to all of our guests today. We really, really appreciate that. And by the way, I didn't mention uh, again, uh, check out Mark Rauch's work. I have read a lot of his articles. Fantastic. Again, he's with the Auto Channel. Uh, So thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.